Welcome back, welcome back, welcome back. So this is episode 40 of the Combat Review, but you already know that. Um, in this episode, we discuss whew, we discuss Ariel Hawani, who has just left ESPN, and what I am tipping him, uh, or where I'm tipping him to pop up next. The Fury versus Wild, the press conference, which was a total snooze fest. Uh, we then discuss UFC 263's fallout, and particularly... Uh, the three main events, uh, and then I have a little bit or perhaps share my thoughts on UFC fighter pay versus Logan Paul and Jake Paul and what they're talking about. So you can follow us on Instagram at the Combat Review Podcast with all the underscores. You can follow us on Twitter at Combat Review and, of course, on YouTube at the Combat Review channel. This is episode 40. Enjoy. <laughs> Ariel Hawani has left ESPN. That's interesting. So Ariel Hawani, of course, signed with ESPN three years ago, had a three-year contract, which makes sense because he's now left ESPN. So his contract must have been up. That's how that works. Um, but I wouldn't... If you told me when Ariel Hawani signed for ESPN, the worldwide leader in sports in America, massive deal to work for ESPN, especially for someone like Ariel Hawani, who has gone his whole career to get an opportunity like working for ESPN, covering MMA, a sport that he loves, and, of course, covering NBA basketball, a sport that is probably his second favourite, but a very, very close second favourite to MMA. So, if anything, he had his dream job, yet he walked away from it because he didn't feel that the terms of his contract were correct or not as much as he could get, or he's been offered other things elsewhere. So... One, you've got to say that the guy has got the courage of his convictions to make a move like that when, on paper, he already had the dream job getting paid at least half a million dollars a year if reports out there are correct. Um, but I guess the question is now, what's next for Ariel? Obviously, he had his own podcast before he went to ESPN. He'll have his own podcast when he's not at ESPN. It won't be something that he doesn't carry on. Obviously, Ariel and the bad guy, DC and Helwani, those things are gone. Um, do they merge the two and have a, a DC and Chael show? Um, does Gilbert Melendez come in? All of those sorts of things. We can figure that out later on down the road. But where does Ariel Hawani pop up next? And I'm I'm just putting it out there. I've got a sneaky suspicion he will pop up in pro wrestling. And I don't know why. I'm not too sure why. It's always something he's never done. It's always something he's he's spoken relatively fondly of. And his son's... I've recently got into it, which he's talked about quite passionately on his podcast. So will we see Ariel Hawani at WWE? I don't think so. Will we see Ariel Hawani at AEW? I think we might. And this video might not age well when in about a week he tells us what he's going to do. But for right now, I think we'll see Ariel Hawani pop up at AEW. Let's see what happens. So, Fury and Wilder had a press conference. I don't know if you can tell, but I'm completely underwhelmed by this. Um, they basically went up there, both said a couple of words, stood in front of each other and had a five-minute-long face-off because neither one of them wanted to break eye contact. It's just... It's really hard to get excited for that when the first fight, Tyson Fury won. Um, but, of course, it was a draw. 
controversial. The second fight, Tyson Fury battered Deontay Wilder. We were promised the world with Anthony Joshua. And then, of course, we didn't get it. And now we're seeing that fight again. Joshua is going to go and fight Alexander Usyk um, in the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium at some point in August, I believe. Uh, and then, of course, Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder is some point in July. Um, I, I don't know what to say. I, 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 I'm struggling with this one. Look, Deontay Wilder, of course, has a knockout punch that is he could knock out a horse if he wanted to. But Fury's figured him out. And unless Deontay Wilder does something drastically different, we are going to see Tyson Fury deal with Deontay Wilder like he did last year. That's just the way it is. Um, you know, their, their first fight was fantastic. Their second fight was very entertaining. We don't want to see a third fight because there's no reason for it. When someone like Tyson Fury has won, obviously drawn the first one, but won both of those fights... There's no need for a rubber match when there's nothing to rubber stamp. Deontay Wilder has won none of those fights. He won two rounds, arguably, in the whole of the, the two fights they've had combined. And I know that the fight was a draw, so he must have won a couple of other ones. But the fight wasn't a draw. Go back and watch it. So it's a tough one for me. I love Tyson Fury. I think he's fantastic. There's some fuckery that happened when it comes to the Anthony Joshua fight. Bob Arum, Eddie Hearn. I don't know what went wrong. Eddie Hearn said his side of it. We haven't really heard from Bob Arum. Um, but knowing him, he'll throw Eddie Hearn under the bus. Um, either way, it's the fans that miss out. We don't get the fight. Um, now, Alexander Usek is no uh, walk in the park for Anthony Joshua. And Deontay Wilder always has that punch. So there's a chance we never see Fury Joshua. And, you know... If we don't, that will be a travesty of the sport. And this is the problem with boxing. I'm not going to get into that again. Um, I've done a video on boxing before. You scroll down a little bit, you'll find it. But um, look, we're getting that fight whether we like it or not. So let's have it. Let's get Fury through it in one piece. Let's get Anthony Joshua through it in one piece. And then nobody get in the way because we've got a fight to put together. Nate Diaz versus Leon Edwards. I can't tell you how much I enjoyed this fight. I'm not Leon Edwards' biggest fan by my own admission. Um, I just find him a little bit dull in the way that he sort of conveys himself and things like that. I don't find the most interesting person, basically, is what I'm trying to tell you. But what I did find very compelling was his skill set in this fight and his skill set overall. Um, for the longest time, I kind of thought that he was a... Not journeyman, that's the wrong word, because he wins a lot. And he's very precise, and everything he throws is meant to land. He is a very calculated fighter. He obviously has put in the work, um, and you can see that in his performances. So Leon Edwards, for me, um, is obviously a world-class athlete. And I don't want to appear as if I don't understand that, and I'm not giving off that vibe, because... He is one of the highest ranked welterweights in the world. He is on a 10-fight win streak. Obviously, if we perhaps ignore the, the eye poke, a nine-fight win streak. We're not breaking the win streak for that eye poke. That's not fair. Um, and he went in and fought against Nate Diaz, who 
hasn't fought in two and a half years. So that's all set up. That's all set up. Nate Diaz will always, always put on performances that the fans love. And what do you get in the Nate Diaz fight? You get a bit of clowning, a bit of playing around. You get his face coated in blood. Coated. The scar tissue is unbelievable. And you get a competitive fight. And I know you might say that this fight was not competitive until the last round, blah, 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 blah. But if that was a fight in the street for the first four rounds, Nate Diaz would still be in this in that fight, wouldn't he? When you go into the fifth round, and this is the thing that I don't think Nate Diaz will be disappointed about this, but when he rocks Leon Edwards in that fifth round, I don't think there's a person alive that didn't believe that Nate Diaz could have finished that fight. And instead, he stopped and pointed and laughed at him. It's almost as if he didn't realise how much he'd hurt him. He pointed and laughed, and then he went on the attack. If he'd have gone straight away, I'm 99.9% sure he finishes that fight. And we're now talking about Nate Diaz, who sat on the shelf for two and a half years, the number one contender for Kamara Usman's belt. Because let's, let's be clear, if Nate Diaz won that fight, Dana does that fight over the Colby fight. And the reason for that is that Colby fight is always going to be there. That Nate fight is a brand new fight. It's a massive name. Nate Diaz is a draw. But Nate being Nate, he was himself and he didn't finish the fight. But that shows you just how good Nate Diaz is, is that he is so robust that he can get into these wars for rounds and rounds and rounds. And then he can still almost win the fight. His boxing is fantastic. Um, obviously, his ground game goes without saying. He struggles with leg kicks, and he has no leg kick defense whatsoever. And it's almost as if he's not interested in having a leg kick defense either. And that is probably, if he cared, a part of his game that he could really round off and make himself a lot harder to beat. But Connor gave that blueprint against Nate Diaz by just hitting him with the leg kicks. And then all of a sudden, he struggles to get things off um, until Connor gets tired. So well done to Leon Edwards. The trouble is he didn't go out there and finish Nate Diaz. He didn't go out there and finish an unranked opponent who'd been set, sat on the shelf for two and a half years. Um, and that hurt him. And he didn't get that title shot. And I know Dana said about Colby getting it before, but if he went out there and put away Nate Diaz in two rounds, we might be having a different conversation about who's going to fight Kamara Usman in the next couple of months. And we're not. So those are the facts. Um, Nate Diaz... To, he almost finished the fight with a Stockton slap and then a left-handed punch that almost knocked Leon Edwards out. That is unbelievable. If he'd have finished that fight, that would have been one of the best knockouts in UFC history. It would have had to have been. It would have had to have been. Um, so, yeah, Nate Diaz is a warrior. He is a legend. I will pay to see him fight as long as he wants to fight. Um, there's fun fights out there for him now. We can get the Jorge Masvidal rematch. Um, although I'd probably like to see Jorge Masvidal against uh, either Leon Edwards or against Nick Diaz. I'd quite like that a lot. Um, you know, Dan Hooker called out Nate Diaz. I'm not mad at that. I'm not mad at that at all. Dan Hooker could go up and wait. He's a big guy. Um, so there are fun fights out there for Nate Diaz. Leon Edwards isn't going to get the title shot. Does he want to sit and wait or does he want to fight again? If he fights again, he could fight Bilal Muhammad. You know, run that back. Um, 
there's a lot of fun fights in that welterweight division that are still hanging around. But for me, Nate Diaz, what a guy. What a guy. Brandon Moreno versus Davidson Figueredo. I don't know why. I always want to call him Alex Moreno. It's a terrible, terrible condition that I've got. I can't get over it. In any event, Davidson Figueredo is no longer the UFC world champion. Brandon Moreno beat him. And convincingly. I know they fought the first time and the fight was very close. Fight of the year candidate and all those sorts of things. And I thought, my prediction, actually the only one of the main card I got wrong, which is unlike me, I normally always get them wrong. Um, my prediction was that Davidson Figueredo would correct his mistakes or get over the issues or, in air quotes, injuries that he had from the first fight, and we would see him dismantle Alex Moreno, Prandon Moreno. See what I did there? It happened. Um, but he didn't. And fair play to Moreno. It was a fantastic performance. Finished him with a rear naked choke. Um and now we, we move on with a new champion in the division. And I guess the things that's quite compelling about this, when we look at the flyweight division, in the top five, he has fought some of those people, but he's drawn or lost to them. So there's a fight in almost every single position in that top 10. Aside from Brandon Royval, you can kind of make an argument for any of those guys for a title shot. Um, and the fight would be compelling. So the division is fresh, it's ready to go again, and that's all positive. Um, I guess from Figueredo's point of view, he needs to be moving up to bantamweight. He is, it's no, probably no coincidence that his last two fights, albeit they were both against Moreno, but his performance was not up to par. And I know one of them was a fight of the year candidate, but he didn't look great in a lot of the parts of that fight. And in both of the weigh-ins for that fight, he struggled. He struggled to make weight. So logic, logic says he moves up a division. And we normally see when people do move up a division, it's beneficial for them and the performance is a lot higher. So I don't know why he'd be against doing that. Obviously, I'm not in his position and I'm not telling him what to do. But Davidson, move up in weight, mate. Right then, Israel Adesanya versus Marvin Vittori. Uh, so I guess this fight was pretty much like a lot of Israel Adesanya's fights prior because he pretty much dominated Marvin Vittori for five rounds. And I say dominated, it wasn't like 10-8s and things like that, but they had competitive rounds where Israel Adesanya won the majority of the striking exchanges and won every round 10-9. And there's a couple of people saying, oh, Marvin won this round or Marvin won that round. Marvin didn't win any rounds. And the weirdest thing about that is at the end of the fight, Marvin thought he won. <laughs> Marvin thought he won. He was putting his hands up and he told Izzy after the fight that he won, which was very bizarre. I don't massively dislike Marvin Vittori. Um, I don't find him the most entertaining fighter. I think he got that title shot off a victory over... Kevin Holland, which is nothing really to write home about when Kevin Holland is just taking fights left, right and centre. And the blueprint to beat Kevin Holland was laid out literally one month before that. So no sort of kudos from me about his victory over Kevin Holland. He got the 
the fight against Israel Adesanya because Robert Whittaker wasn't available. So they went to the next best thing. The show goes on. And that's how it works. So I'm not mad at Marvin Vittori for taking the fight. Obviously, you take the world title fight. You have a puncher's chance and whatever. But now we move on in the middleweight division. And the middleweight division is is, is coming towards a bit of a problem now. And it, it's made a bigger problem by the fact that Israel Adesanya has beaten a lot of the people, well, almost everyone in the top five, aside from um, Jared Cannonier, which isn't the best fight in the world. But let's be honest, if he fights Robert Whitaker next and he wins, well, that'll be the title shot that, that happens. Um, but normally when we see a champion clean out the division, he goes around and does it again. Now, I know we have Darren Till sort of waiting in the wings and he's going to have to win a fight before he gets the next title shot. So that's a compelling one. I know Izzy wants that fight, and I know Darren will want that fight. The trouble is, is normally once a, a, a champion has cleaned out the division, he either does it twice or he goes up. The trouble is he's already gone up, hasn't he? So all of a sudden, this middleweight division that was had a lot of promise and a lot of steam is going to start to slow down a little bit. And I don't think that's anyone's fault. It's just the way that it's turned out because there's been injury problems in that middleweight division. Robert Whitaker wasn't recovered enough. Darren Till obviously hurt his shoulder against Marvin Vittori, and then we might have got a different fight, but now he's fought Marvin Vittori, and now that's kind of moved the can down the road. Now he's going to fight Robert Whitaker again, which is a rematch. He's already fought Marvin Vittori, which is actually a rematch. So it's getting a bit messy, and I think we're going to see, once he fights Robert Whitaker again, assuming Jared Cannonier wins or Darren Till picks up a win, or maybe they fight each other for a number one contender spot, that division is going to start to slow down a lot, and it's something the UFC are going to have to be pretty aware of because he can't go up. And does he really want to go around the division again? I don't know. I want to talk about fighter pay. And the reason I want to talk about fighter pay is twofold. Number one, uh, Logan and Jake Paul are talking about it again. Um, this seems to be the tune that Jake Paul is playing, and he's playing it quite cleverly because he's using it to get himself into fights with MMA fighters that he thinks he can beat. Obviously, case in point, Ben Askren. Now, Dana probably made a mistake letting Ben Askren go and fight Logan Paul, uh, Jake Paul, pardon me, because he opened a gate. And Jake Paul is now made himself semi-relevant in the MMA world. And here I am talking about him. So I guess I'm part of the problem. But in any event, fight to pay. Now, he's basically turning around saying that Tyron Woodley can come and fight me and make the biggest payday he's ever had. Well, yeah. Yeah, he probably can. He probably can. Because it's a one-off event, isn't it? It's a one-off event against someone who has a massive following. Jake Paul has a massive following. Mainly because of his brother. But then he jumped on the back of that and rode his coattails and built up his own following. I'm not hating on that. That's fantastic. If I could do it, I would. Um, but if you put that fight on every week, after two weeks, no one would watch it. No one would watch it. And people don't want to watch Jake Paul because he's charismatic. He's handsome. He talks well. They don't, those aren't the reasons they want to watch him. They want to watch him to see if he can actually do it, or they want to see him get hurt. Those are the only two options. Or the third option, you're an idiot who watches his YouTube videos and thinks he's the best fighter in the world. Those are the only three options, reasons you watch a Jake Paul fight. So 
I understand the draw because I've been in that myself. I do want to know if he can beat Tyron Woodley. And then if you pick someone a little bit better than that afterwards, I'll probably want to know that as well. If he signed up to box Floyd Mayweather, which is what his brother just did, I wouldn't watch it. I didn't watch Logan versus Floyd in the first place because it's too stupid. The gap's too big. When you shorten that gap, it becomes compelling. So that's the first reason. If Tyron Woodley is fighting a ranked person in the UFC, that only really appeals to MMA fans. Tyron Woodley has not descended the sport or transcended the sport. Descended is definitely the wrong word. Tyron Woodley has not transcended the sport. And I'm not blaming Tyron Woodley for that, but that's a fact. He hasn't. No one knows who he is outside of the MMA community. Unless, of course, you've watched straight out of Compton and like bad rap music. That was a cheap shot. Sorry. Um, but people know who Jake Paul is. So he has his own fan base. So if you pluck Tyron Woodley and put him next to Jake Paul, Jake Paul gets someone he thinks he can beat up. That remains to be seen. I'm pretty sure he can't. Um, but I said that about Ben, Ax ben Askren. Um, and Tyron Woodley gets another payday. I guess my point is, I do. there is some substance to the UFC fighter pay. I don't think it's as big as everyone's making out. Now that the company is publicly traded, we will get a greater look at their profits. We'll take a greater look at their losses. We'll take a greater look at their balance sheet. And we'll take a greater look at what they pay their athletes every year because they have to report that stuff to the SEC. They have to file their accounts and they are public record and we can look at them. That's how the stock market works. So we'll all find out very soon exactly what the split is. And people are saying, oh, it's 18% and the NFL's 50 and the NBA's 48. Or what? I don't know. I'm an idiot. I don't know anything about American pay, sports, NBA and NFL. It's not my thing. But what it says a fighter gets paid is not always what he gets paid. There are separate checks that get paid. There are pay-per-view points. There are shares of the gate. There is merchandise. There are other things that UFC fighters get. So when you go onto the, the dirt sheets in the morning and you look at the what the commission paid uh, George St. Pierre to fight, that's not what he got. And you rarely hear what they got. And usually you don't know what they got until either the end of the quarter or the end of the year because they don't divvy up all of the pay-per-view points until the end of the quarter or the end of the year. Jorge Masvidal said recently that he's not fighting again until he gets paid at the end of the year. Because at the end of the year, he'll get his pay-per-view points from the Usman fight. And then he'll be free to fight. He's free to fight again now. But then he will fight again because he wants his money before he does it. So there are things that Jake Paul isn't talking about. And there are things that he doesn't know. And everyone paints Dana White out to be the problem and to be the bad guy. Dana White is employed. He may be a small owner in the UFC, obviously previously a bigger one, but he's employed. He has a job. He's got a show to put on. He's got to offer every fighter three fights a year. They're all under contract. He's not just underpaying them. He's paying them what the fighter agreed to. No one has to sign a contract. So when someone signs a five-fight deal to get paid 150 and 150, what if they win two fights and then they're sitting in the top five, they want more money? That's not how it works. Win the belt. Yeah, sure. Contract gets torn up and you get a new contract. But the narrative that's being pushed and peddled by Jake Paul that the UFC fighters don't get paid enough. Jake, you fight every weekend and see if people watch it after three weeks. They won't. You're doing your thing. 
You're getting your money. It's very smart. It's very clever. But don't start trying to bring the UFC down. I, I don't understand what it would be out of. Is it out of jealousy? Is it because you're bored? Or is it because you want to fight some of their guys to make your name more relevant? Ah, I've got it. That's what it is. So, you know, I started this. Look, there's, I have, Jake Paul is doing what he's doing. I don't like him. I think he's a bit of a tit. But he's making his money. He's been very clever about it. Fine. Much respect. The UFC fighter pay thing, there probably is some credence to it. But it will not be as bad as people think. And everyone has a choice. There is Bellator out there. There is LFA. There is Ryzen. There are other organizations that, that people can go and fight at and get paid more money. But do you want to be at the pinnacle of the sport or do you want to be fighting Jake Paul for a cheap payday? Let me know. So as advertised, that was episode 40. You've had it. That was it. How do you feel? Um, as I said at the top of the show, you can follow us on Instagram at the Combat Review Podcast with all the underscores on Twitter at Combat Review and, of course, on YouTube at the Combat Review Channel. Um, thank you very much for listening. I'll see you next time on episode 41.